And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I am your guest host, Melissa Vincent. I'm the executive director of Pipeline Entrepreneurs. And if you're wondering why I'm here, it is because... Startup Hustle is being sponsored this week by Pipeline Entrepreneurs because we are are in our recruiting season. So if you're an entrepreneur in the Midwest, that's Nebraska, Missouri, or Kansas, and you're interested in going through our fellowship program, go to pipelineentrepreneurs.com to apply and learn more. Today, I am so excited because I am joined by not only a Pipeline member, but a friend, Chris Montley with Mentor Spaces. And Chris, I'm just so happy to see your face and be here today with you. (laughs) Likewise, likewise. Thanks for having me. So we have so many things to talk about, but we should probably start is telling your story and how you got here. Tell us about Mentor Spaces and why you are so passionate about your company. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Well, if I told you the whole story, we'll be talking for hours, but I'll I'll (laughs) give you that. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, but you know, as you know, I'm from uh, the South Side of Chicago, uh, where I grew up with my mom, and uh, was very fortunate in learning about a program that really connected sort of young inner city kids with better sort of educational pathways, which, as we all know, tends to lead to better uh, career pathways. Mm-hmm. And and in this program, I met this individual who happened to be uh, an oil trader at Goldman Sachs. And I had no idea what Goldman Sachs was. Uh, I thought it was a funny name, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) I had no idea what oil trading meant. Um, And this individual uh, spent time to just explain to me like what he did for a living. Uh, Nothing too fancy, nothing overly complicated. And uh, there's no surprise. Uh, it's no surprise that uh, I then went on not only to go to Columbia, where he went to college, but uh, joined uh, Goldman as an oil trader for a number of years. Hmm. And it was a phenomenal experience. And it's just crazy that had I not had that one conversation, uh, I would have thought my career pathways were far more limited than they actually were. Hmm. Uh, so when I left the industry, because I had made a little bit of money that uh, allowed me to scratch this sort of entrepreneurial itch. Um, I started the first company in the manufacturing space, um, which was amazing. It really taught me how to build a business, build a team, uh, go out and sell and all of that stuff. And um, around that time, technology just became more accessible to me where I can look and see that there was a path to create something if I just focused And um, so I kind of took my own personal experience and said, wait, what if we can use technology to sort of create serendipity uh, between, you know, young black and brown kids like I was many years ago (laughs) and and connect them with with people who can help them along the way. Um, And and that's sort of how we got to this point 
uh, where we are now with mentor spaces. Uh, obviously, uh, COVID starting you know last March and in, in 2020, um, the year almost a year and a half ago, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, and then all of the events of last summer with George Floyd and others certainly created this sort of environment that you know the market almost pulled innovation out of out mm-hmm. of my team and I. Uh, and you know, mentor spaces has been very well received um, in the market. And effectively, what we're doing is exactly what my personal experience was. We're just doing it with technology, which allows us to to scale. So, so tell us a little bit about how that actually happens. So, if I'm mm-hmm. someone who is in need of a mentor, or if if I'm someone who wants to be a mentor, how does this happen? Yeah, well, uh, so it's a couple of things. So, so you know, what we know, and and part of you know, what makes this approach so special is that there is already an established ecosystem in uh, the Black and Latinx community. Um, So one obvious sort of ecosystem player are historically Black colleges and universities who uh, lack a lot of resources, but they are really trying to figure out how to better engage their alumni, as well as to better prepare their students for the world of work. Um, and so part of our approach is partnering with these universities, partnering with national nonprofits uh, who already have built a community, but they don't really have a connective tissue in terms of technology. And the way the, the product works is that, you know, very clearly we help people clarify their goals, um, clarify how they're able to help others, um, establish uh, an intended time commitment, particularly for the mentors. And then we integrate with their calendars to understand their availability. Mm-hmm. And so the machine, so to speak, uh, collects inventory of experts' time. And then we distribute those time slots uh, to individuals who would benefit from having conversations, whether in a group uh, format or, or one-to-one. That's amazing. So you're basically making it incredibly easy for someone who's a mentor to say, because if you are a mentor, you typically are someone who has a lot going on and yeah. and you want to give back your time, but it has to be, it has to be to your point, it has to be integrated and easy. So I love that you've made that so easy for the mentor to be able to just kind of, you take the, the legwork out of like, okay, when do I schedule? How do I make yeah. that happen? I yeah. Love and, it's, and there's, and there's one sort of point of clarification, which is, you know, when we talk about mentorship, um, we're talking about the practice of mentorship. And the, the role of a mentee or a mentor can, is very dynamic. Um, if, if the subject matter changes, then someone who uh, is a mentor in one context can be the mentee in another context. Mm. And that really is this community-driven approach, um, which is about sort of people sharing their lived experiences organized by technology is what allows value to be delivered to everyone regardless of if they're playing the role of a mentor or, or a mentee. So if you are one, that was powerful. I just want to like pause, rewind that and be like that being the mentor and also that shifting sometimes in you're the mentee is like the beauty of life, right? We should yeah. always be a little bit of both. Um, so when you are looking at on the mentee side, how, how are you, are, is that where you're going through the like HBCUs or what are, where, yeah. where are you yeah, I mean, on that side? 
Yeah, you know, with many businesses, uh, it's and, and increasingly businesses are becoming sort of B two B, B two C. You know, distribution is always sort of the big hurdle uh, that typically defines you know success or failure. So this point about the ecosystem already existing, you know, by partnering with non national nonprofits who don't have sort of technology as a core competency, but cares about the goals that we're trying to achieve in the BIPOC community, they basically fork over uh, their, their network and their community to us. Um, and so it limits um, uh, or enhances our ability to uh, reach these audiences without having to rely on really expensive sort of social media marketing tactics, which, you know, in some cases can work. Um, right. But those tend to be amplifiers. They can't, my view is it can't be sort of the basis of your strategy unless you are selling something direct to consumers uh, right. that they can buy at, at really nice margins. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I know just because of, of knowing you is that the goal, or at least one of the goals is to really help, going back to your experience of kind of like your why in doing this is yeah. to help that mentorship helps provide a better career path. So how yeah. do you make that happen? Yeah, the, 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 so you're exactly right. So the vision is advancing the careers of underrepresented talent and, and the way that we execute that vision is through the power of mentorship. And when we think about sort of what mentorship means or what it is, at least the way we've defined it in our company is it's a conversation with someone in the know. Yep. And, and if you, and if you can sort of break something down to its individual sort of unit of measure, um, it becomes very clear what you have to do. So what we have to do is continue to facilitate high quality conversations with people in the know. Yep. If my job, let's say, you know, what I focus on now is, you know, how do you, uh, you know, take the traction that we've built thus far since we launched this this product a year ago and scale into the enterprise. And so I seek out mentors uh, <laughs> to help me to do that. And, and it's one conversation at a time. And, and if you think about it, you have a single conversation, no different than the one you and I are having, and it sparks ideas. It sparks, oh, you should talk to this person. Yes. And ultimately, what we realized that in, in the, the, the BIPOC community, especially for folks entering their career, the key pain point is a, a lack of confidence. Mm. And that lack of confidence is fueled because a lack of, they have a lack of social capital. They, they simply don't know people who work in various career paths. And the more that that becomes pervasive, especially when people are increasingly isolated, yeah. it creates what you know, I think LinkedIn may have coined this term, you know, the network gap. Mm -hmm. And if you can close that network gap, then you increase one's confidence and you reduce the friction that they uh, would otherwise encounter in pursuing their careers. Um, and mentorship does that. You know, you have a conversation with someone who uh, demystifies the world of work, uh, shares the language of industry with you. And very quickly, you say, oh, I can speak the language. I now know someone in this uh, particular sort of career path. And you're more prepared when it comes time for an interview, um, you know, for that next opportunity. And so that's how we do it. And this is not limited to people who are also just coming out of college. The same issues exist when you are an individual contributor at a company five years in and you're trying to get to that next level. 
And, and we all know the problems of large enterprises who may do a really good job in attracting talent in entry-level roles, but most of them do have work to do when it comes to having underrepresented populations and, and mid-level and executive roles. So one, I, I, I love that piece of it because there there is that network gap. And to your point, it's only been made more apparent by COVID because people have become very isolated. And and I think I, I always like to think of like a network as in it's like a weird analogy, but Bermuda grass. So Bermuda grass is pervasive. Like it starts here and then it 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 really kind of um spreads out in this like network and Mm -hmm. the reason why that's like for whatever reason always stuck with me is because if you don't have that person that can actually help connect you then you're you're just you're just this one little spoke and being able to reach a network and all these various people that spreads out is something that most people that that underrepresented groups do not have access to that yeah, and, I, and, I think, and getting a job in, you know, a, to your point, growing your confidence, like everything is about networking and who you know, and not having access to that is is debilitating. Yeah, yeah, I mean, certainly. And, and I think that, you know, obviously, um, over the last, I guess, 10, 15 years, you have LinkedIn, you have Facebook, which are huge networks. And I think there's a shift and and the shift because at the end of the day, these networks have existed in your know, social networks, but we still have these problems. Yep. And so something is not being solved by the network. And, and so we, we prefer to think of it in, in terms of community. Um, and so if you are part of a true community that's supporting your, your goals and your ambitions, um, then you can show up with your best self every single day. You know, yeah. if, if companies complain about retention of, underrepresented folks, it's because they don't feel like they're part of the organization. You can just substitute community for the word organization. If you feel like you're part of the community, um, like if you take it down to the literal sense and you walk down the street and there's trash on the ground, you value that community. You like being a productive member of that community. You pick up the trash and throw it away. Um, And so I think there's a shift that's happening that's going from networks to communities. And when we talk about social capital, it's, it's really defined, at least for us, uh, by the, the value or the advantage you have by virtue of who you know, mm-hmm. uh, who knows you, and how you know them. Yeah. And simply having a connection on LinkedIn is insufficient. <laughs> That's right. Half the people who probably connect with me these days, I have no idea who they are. <laughs> <laughs> post something and now I, now it spreads further far and wide so I'll, I'll do it uh but that but everybody knows the issue with everybody getting these random emails in linkedin yeah. you're like who are you <laughs> <laughs> network not community um that distinction's really important and i think to um not to get more philosophical, but I think it's really the issue with, as we look at younger generations, again, not saying that I'm old, but when you look at younger generations who have grown up on social media, I think that there is a bit of an issue around actual depth in relationships because it is very surface level and you don't really know the depth of someone. And so those connections are are not they're not strong, right? It's like, oh, well, we're connected, but you're not really, again, the community piece is what's missing. And so 
I love that you're trying to solve that issue because I think it's an issue for, I think, I think it will continue to be an issue for a long time based on what our society is focused on. And that is kind of the surface level snapshot of a moment versus real connection. Yeah. And I I think, you know, people have been writing about this for thousands of years. We're just in a different point in time, but these things are consistent. I mean, everybody wants and needs human connection. And quite honestly, the one positive thing I could say about social media is that it at least shows you what people think is important to others. Mm. They try to project. And so it gives you a hint um, to kind of what they may really be thinking or facing. And it could provide sort of clues of how you can build a community. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody gets fulfillment when they um, are growing right. and when they're contributing to others. Yeah. They just don't know the easiest ways to do that. Right. <laughs> right. right. So, you know, and I think the other thing I could say about social media from a positive light is it really taps into sort of these very, you know, these attributes that are part of our DNA. I think that, you know, um, uh, uh, they, they really rely a lot on FOMO uh, and dopamine, right? And get mm-hmm. these hooks in. And I think that there needs to be a shift to rely more on serotonin. Uh, you are feeling good because you're doing something positive and it's intrinsically good for you. And, and how, how might the a social network of the future based on serotonin versus dopamine and FOMO and what have you, uh, how might that change things? I don't know, but these are the things that beyond the design and the buttons you press on the Mentor Spaces app, these are the things we obsess about um, to, to really you know, use the lessons learned and the patterns that have been proven to work in sort of the social media context for something that's actually productive uh, and helpful, right? And then we'll see what happens. So I'm gonna take a minute just to do our, like our little sponsor piece, which is that one, thank you to Start Puzzle Podcast for having uh, Pipeline Entrepreneurs take over this week and talk about our new recruiting season, which starts now. So if you are interested in being an entrepreneur and going through Pipeline's fellowship program, go to pipelineentrepreneurs.com to apply and find out more. So in in talking through those those pieces of how one we like the science behind all of that is really like incredible. I've never heard anyone kind of refer to it as like we're trying to get to the serotonin and not the dope. I mean like that's so is that where you're headed is really trying to add like how how do you accomplish that? Yeah, well, I think it goes back to what I was saying before and and something you referred to, which is, you know, first of all, on an identity level, people want to be known as being helpful to others. Yeah. Whether it's true or not actually doesn't matter. People do want to be thought of as being helpful, right? Because people who are selfish are just not likable, right? And you don't trust them. So that's that's number one. So you have to tap into that sort of that identity um, that people want to want to be known for. The, the, the second point is, is that if you look at the problem or the, the barriers that exist in helping others, let's say in being a mentor, it's all the things you said. Well, I already have very little bandwidth. Um, how exactly does that work? But the reality is everybody can make a commitment to 30 minutes a month, right. and, but they don't want to have to go find the person to help. 
they don't want to have to like go back and forth over email about what time is good for you, <laughs> right? Um, they don't want to feel like they don't they won't do a good job. So training is important, right? And then you have to remind them that this is the very thing they want themselves. Like everybody has something to give, and everybody uh, wants to accomplish something. So if you organize a community dedicated to the practice of mentorship, again, regardless of if, if, if you're the role you're playing one day as a mentee and the role you're playing another day as a mentor, um, it allows people to, to know with confidence that they are helping someone over a 30 minute period of time, no more, no less. They can choose more if they want or not. Um, and, it, and it creates what we like to call mentor high. And, and it's that feeling you get when you know you've helped someone. Um, you, 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 it's like seeing a kid learn something for the first time, right? You, you enhance their perspective in a way. And that stuff becomes really um, addictive in a positive way. Yeah. And, and that's what we're trying to generate. There's lots of ways to do it. Uh, one, one example sort of in the traditional kind of sense of, of mentorship is you help someone. You have a conversation. So, A, the first complaint is, that guy didn't even thank me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and let's say that basic thing is taken care of. The second thing is, it's like, I don't even know if I was helpful, right? Mm -hmm. So if you just close that feedback, if you establish that feedback loop and you yeah. can automate it in a way where it's still genuine and it's still authentic, but you make it easier for people to say thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's a confidence thing. I don't know exactly how to do it. And then like three days pass by and it's like, well, it's been three days. I think it took too long, so I'm just not gonna do anything, right? right. All of these things are what people go through. And so you can use technology to sort of uh, nudge people in the right way to say, man, that conversation was awesome. Uh, thank you so much. I learned this. And we all have gotten either someone saying that to us yeah, uh, or emailing that to us and how that feels. If we can do that like a million times, then we'll be very successful. <laughs> I feel like as the mother of a 10 year old son, I feel like you're basically putting the mom in their brain saying, did you say thank you? Thank you. Like, did you do like, you're basically just being that helpful reminder to say like they, like people intrinsically feel that, right. They feel thankful. It's just, you sometimes need a little nudge to be like, did you say it? And so I yeah. love that you're automating that. I feel like I wish I could use that with my son sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the big, the big thing is, is that, you know, people don't know things until they know things and, and once um, you know, once you know you, you know, and, uh, and, and so again, part of the challenge and, and the opportunity is organizing a user experience in such a way that things that we may take for granted or things that we do like in a very sort of automated, like reaction when you're 20 years into your career and you have experiences. Right you bring it to, you know, uh, populations who are sort of just starting out. Because again, if you don't know people who operate in this way, well, how, right. how would you know that that's the way to operate in terms right. of how to meet people, how to have a highly productive conversation? Right. Right. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, uh, uh, it's, there's a very simple question you can ask most people, especially young people, and they get stumped every single time. And the question is, well, what's your goal? Mm. Right. what are you trying to accomplish and and, it, and it's so simple and it's so profound but like it's a really hard thing i mean yeah. uh i mean you, you, your goal is is a function of your knowledge of your available options mm -hmm. <laughs> right. 
Oh, wow, yeah. There's this very interesting thing in, in life of if if what you do is a function of what you know about and what is available to you, mm -hmm. uh, then you benefit a lot by engaging in things that open up your options and open up your access. Oh, right. But if you're a marginalized, if you're part of a marginalized community, as I am, uh, you have to be aware <laughs> of systemic things that can work against you. And right. And, uh, and then engage in communities uh, where the goal is to overcome those things. Mm. Again, another time where I really wanna be able to go and say, okay, <laughs> let's rewind that and listen to it one more time. So for anyone listening, rewind that and listen to it one more time because it was really powerful. So, as, so one of the things I wanna talk about in, again, the little things that I know that our listeners may not you just closed a round of funding. So one, congratulations on that. That is no small feat. Um, yeah, so you. congratulations, but tell us about, you know, before we actually kicked off, we were talking about how that takes a weight off and then you immediately are like, okay, now I have to figure out how to, to now I have to deploy it, which is a completely different, you know, yeah. challenge. Yeah. Um, so, so talk to us. So for those who are going through the fundraising piece, right now what are some things that you learned from that process you know that that maybe you, <clears throat> you struggled with and then it's like okay now that you're on the other side of it or like tell us helpful and insight for those who are struggling right now going through raising yeah yeah i think you know it's it's funny well you know i don't know if this is going to be helpful but it, but if it's not helpful i would say listen to this part again because you missed something uh First of all, my perspective on most things in life is that we, we make as human beings for whatever reason, especially those of us who've been fortunate to have a great education and all of that stuff, we can make things super complicated. And part of what I do every day, regardless of if it's fundraising or hiring or what have you, I literally have to spend time to say to myself, Chris, you're thinking about it way too hard. You're making it too complicated. And when it comes to fundraising, um, it's, it's actually a fairly simple process from the standpoint of, you know, the things to do. Mm -hmm. The execution of the things to do is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And so there it has to be maniacal practice in the execution. So number one, owning, well, knowing your story, owning your story and being able to articulate that in a way that connects your personal story to the opportunity you're trying to um, capture. Yeah. Uh, you will be amazed. It sounds very simple, uh, but it's it's really hard in executing it because on because investors have their own stories. They have their mm -hmm. own biases. They have their own sort of perspective, and so you have to sort of develop this muscle of reading that investor and making sure that the way you uh, are are telling your story and owning your story and connecting it to uh, why you are the person to seize this opportunity is super important. I would I would connect this to really good musicians who have like a core song that everyone knows, but the musician, in order to keep it fun for the musician, they rearrange it a thousand times. And and that's what you get when you go to live music shows. You 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 know it's the song that you like, yeah. and the musician gives you this little gift because they rearranged it, where the meaning doesn't change, but the feel of it. Uh, it, it matches the moment. And I think that in 
owning the story and articulating that story, it's, it's a very similar sort of sort of muscle. The the second point is is that so, those of us who are uh, really good at presenting uh, and being very persuasive um, to a person who's investing their money, they're automatically going to say, "Okay, well, what's the plan?" Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people who are very strong in presenting things are horrible at articulating a very succinct and clear plan, yeah. uh, all the way down to the numbers. And uh, and, the, and oftentimes the reverse is true. People are very very good on the plan, but they can't inspire anyone. Right. Um, and and so uh, that plan and the weaknesses um, that a person uh, may present in articulating that plan needs to be addressed well before that conversation with the investor. And that just takes humility. And it takes, again, practice and, you know, challenging the assumptions. Um, The next piece, which is related, is is really recognizing that you are not going to do this by yourself. And that you can't talk passionately about individual members of your team, just as you may talk passionately about your own ability to get something done. Again, it, it just creates cognitive dissonance. Um, and, and so when, when, when that opportunity and that story is clear, that plan is clear and that team is clear, um, then it's then I and then and, and by definition, all the materials that sort of articulate that, like what's the evidence, <laughs> right? Yeah. What's the evidence that it's an, it's an opportunity? What's the evidence that you're the person to do it? What's the evidence that your plan, you know, can sort of work? And what's the evidence that your team is capable? Then it's just the process. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's how you communicate with people, how you follow up with people. And from an investor's perspective, especially early uh, for early stage entrepreneurs who may be pre-revenue, they are looking at how you sell to them because that's the only proxy they have at your ability to sell to a customer to get revenue. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of issues. <laughs> there's lots of challenges. Um, but but there, there are it's it's hard for a reason. And uh and, you know, I just had to obsess about all of the things I've just said to, to get over the finish line. Yeah. And as I said earlier, now I just graduated to the next set of problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so talk to us about where you are now. So what is, where are you in the process? So now, so we've had the congratulations. Okay. Capitals raised. We, you know, close that. Now what? Where are yeah. you at? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> this is a real, this is real, real honest. I mean, if you, if you're raising money for a long period of time, it took us a year to raise two and a half million dollars. And which means that you have to think about how long it's going to take you and you start that process. And the more down to the wire it gets, the less you're involved in the day-to-day operations in your business. Mm. But what I'm getting to though, is that when you are, when you have your, you know, your opportunity clear, your planning, your team and your materials and that's expressing all the evidence, um, it's just a snapshot in time. Yeah. So if you did this, let's say in 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 January of 2021, and then now it's you know August 2021, there may be things that you have learned or that your team has shared with you that uh, may have invalidated many of the assumptions or that snapshot in time in January when you were pitching your organization. Yeah. And so there's a discipline of like, yeah, I know I was going to invest in this thing, but I don't think it's going to work. Yeah. So I'm not going to invest in this thing. And so for me right now, I just try to I ask myself a very simple question, which is what has to be true for this thing that I want to happen to happen? Yeah. 
Yeah. And for us is, you know, we want to pursue a, a product led growth strategy, which is users of our product have received value and they love it. And then they become the evangelist that leads to revenue. And uh, in the enterprise context, uh, Slack is an example of this. Dropbox is an example yeah. of this. Zoom is an example of this. Um, so in a product led growth strategy, if that's what someone pursues in their, in their go to market motion, then you have to obsess about product yeah. and you ask yourself, well, what has to be true for this strategy to be successful? And, and if you answer that question, it, it basically <laughs> defines your strategy. And there's actually a really interesting hack to this. I kind of do the opposite. So I say, well, what would guarantee that my product led growth strategy would fail? Right. And you just, and just something about the human mind that you can think about the negative much easier than the positive. And so you write things down like, oh, my onboarding sucks. Yeah. People don't know what they have to do. Uh, value isn't clear and blah, 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 blah. And you come up with a list of maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 things. You ask your team the same question, they come up with their list. And that becomes the, the the skeleton of your strategy. Yeah. You just prioritize it by the, the root dependency. Um, and then it, it helps you make better decisions on where to allocate money. And then the second piece is just staying disciplined to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> shiny, you know, I'm not a big shopper in terms of like material things, but everyone yeah. wants to shop, right? Yeah. And And when you raise money, everybody's trying to put you in their sales funnel. And so being clear about sort of how you're going to make decisions um, and this strategy that I, that I just shared is what we use so that we're investing in the right things because everything else doesn't matter if, if sort of that, that core dependency isn't, isn't addressed. So I had to laugh when you were talking because we're so similar and my brain works the same way. I call it worst case scenario. So whenever I'm planning something, I'm like, what's the worst case scenario? And then I work backwards from there to say, okay, how yeah. does the worst case scenario from happening? Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. I feel you on that. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's something that I think, you know, comes with time, right? Like when you, it, it keeps, it, it has multiple layers to it because it keeps you from panicking, right? Because ultimately when you're saying what's worst case scenario, as a founder, you're like, I know I'm not going to let worst case scenario happen. And so here are the things that I need to do to make sure it doesn't. And there's a relief in that to say, okay, yeah, that's I, what I, I think. Get, and I'm not going to yeah. let that happen. Yeah. And I, I think right? 100%. And, you know, may, maybe my, you know, former career on Wall Street biases me in this way, but it's all about risk. And, and, and so, you know, understanding how to measure it, um, understanding, you know, how comfortable you are with it and what you will tolerate and what you won't. And that's a very personal decision for every entrepreneur, which is why I never give advice. I just literally just share perspectives, yeah. but, it, but it's all about risk and, um, you know, and what happens if you're wrong. That's, yeah. that's one way to assess risk. And how much is that going to cost you, <laughs> right? And uh, it, it all it all really comes down to that. And again, I may totally be um, biased because you know being a trader um, at a company like Goldman Sachs, that's literally the. <laughs> the I mean, you're in the business yeah. to make money. They, that, they make that very very clear. Um, and the way you do that is you are very good at managing risk, understanding right. managing risk. Yeah. 
Well, so one of the things that I want to talk about and a little bit is, so you went through the pipeline program and, you know, the goal of the, the programming is to help you figure out how to scale and improve your company. And, um, and this year, one of the things that we're doing and one of the reasons why we took over Startup Hustle podcast this week is because we're starting new programming. And so we are recruiting for two classes, which is the first time in the history of the organization that there's a second class starting. Um, and so we have pipeline, what we'll refer to as pipeline proper that you went through where you're working on your company full time and you are, you know, scaling and growing and our job is to help you get there. Um, what we realized during uh, recruiting last year is that um, there is a whole group of people who do not have the access or privilege to just say, oh, I'm going to go start my company full time. And just because of the fact that they're not starting, their, they're not running their company full time, they are automatically disqualified from pipeline proper. So we, recreate, we created this second class, which is why we're doing so much um kind of things like this where we're sponsoring podcasts because it's brand new, but it is for female minority and rural entrepreneurs only. Um, and it is, we are taking what we learned from virtual and realizing that those, the people who have not had that even playing field to be able to get into pipeline, we want to give them a way to meet them where they are. So if they're working full time, they can't take the time off that you need to, to be in pipeline. Yep. And so it's a virtual program. It's in the evenings and weekends, same level of um, class, like yeah. structure and, 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 you know, the amazing resources that we bring in very heavy on mentorship. Um, and the goal is that when people go through the program that we hopefully help them be able to get into pipeline, but then if not, that they'll be better situated and suited to be able to work on their company full time. Mm -hmm. And so, so, so in that process of going through pipeline, what was something that you really kind of took away from, like, how did it help you kind of think about building your business? Yeah. Well, well, first, let me just say, I think that's a great initiative. Um, and it's, and it's tied to the earlier conversation around risk, because when you talk about, uh, underrepresented folks, um, this is true with everyone. It's just amplified when you get into to marginalized populations. There's real opportunity cost, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Even even though um, I had a successful career um, and I then pivoted and and jumped into entrepreneurship, that that was a very high opportunity cost yeah. <laughs> in terms of what I was making and that kind of thing. Yeah. And but other people have opportunity cost of, you know, maybe they have a, a young one at home and, you know, um, and taking a full plunge into entrepreneurship can be just way too daunting. And I think the program basically uh, mitigates the risk for someone to pursue entrepreneurship. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, it, and it makes it more accessible. So so kudos to you and the organization for for coming up with that, because quite honestly, that's how I started. I kind of in nights and weekends, uh, sort of flirted with these ideas, got involved in the community. And there were a few sort of organizations that helped along the way. But after three, four months of doing this, I said, oh, I can do this. And then I quit the job and like jumped off the, the edge of the cliff. So, so, uh, so kudos, I think it's, I think it's phenomenal. And it's, it's really addressing the core, some of the core problems that, um, 
uh, underrepresented folks face in, in thinking about entrepreneurship. Now, in terms of how, you know, Pipeline helped me, I think, you know, it's like everything. Um, um, perspective, you know, being around your peers um, and all entrepreneurs are peers. People are just at a different stage of the process, right? It's like being an athlete, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Trying to perform at the highest level. Um, people can empathize with where, what you're going through, and that's comforting. Uh, people can also, they, they've earned the right to speak to you in a very direct way because they're on the journey with you. And I think that sort of tough love is super important to keep it, to keep it real and, and, and authentic. Um, and, and which basically created this environment to be very vulnerable. And so you, you create these bonds with people that, that last a long time. I was in pipeline. I don't even know how many years ago it's been now, maybe six, right? Um, my business is completely different than it was when it was in pipeline, but those relationships are still there. And it's just cool knowing that, uh, you know, all I'm thinking about right now as I'm answering this question is, is, is the movie Gladiator. Mm. And, you know, they're all in the middle of, of the, the ring and, you know, trying to come together so they all don't get killed and become yeah. animal food, right? And to me, that's what I felt. It was that mm. people, every other people who I was interacting with were in the arena with me. Maybe their goals are different, their companies are different, but we all are trying not to be skeletons in the graveyard yeah. of failed businesses. And that, 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 uh, that, that's cool. Um, versus someone sort of telling you, you know, I love hip hop music and in particular Jay-Z has his line in one of his, his songs. He's like, you know, everybody tells you how to do it and they never did it. <laughs> and, and that's basically everybody who's not an entrepreneur trying to do it. But like, you know, so you have to have vetted networks to, to make sure that, you know, uh, you're getting the right support and that, and that's what pipeline, um, helped me to realize I needed, uh, even before I realized, even before I knew I needed it. <laughs> and, and now I just, I just, I, 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 I can't live without it. So. Yeah. And that, and kind of going back to the very beginning of this conversation is a, it's about community, right? And it's about having as an entrepreneur, you need to have other like-minded people who are going to support you. And the thing that I love about Pipeline is that it's serial entrepreneurs. And so for every single person that I can think of that has had exits or multiple exits, they had failures. And we all need that reminder sometimes that at some point, failure is not a bad thing. You learn so much from it. But again, having that perspective and the community of people who, when you're going through a moment where you're like, pivot, stop, what do I do? Having other people who care about you, who um, want to see you succeed, but are also going to give you tough love when you need it. That's a very valuable element to what makes Pipeline, in my mind, special is other people who care about you, who have been there, who are, are in the trenches now and are like, hey, perspective. And yeah. that's what people need. Yeah, 100%. And by the way, uh, people who haven't, haven't failed are just not interesting people. Right. And when have you ever read a book that's like, John was born. He's great. <laughs> he never sucked at anything. Like, it, like no, no movie has stuck. Like, like no great, nobody could ever go back to, like, it, it's a very clear pattern of sort of the, the hero's journey. Yeah. Uh, and, and those are the stories that, 
you know, whether it's Star Wars or or what's happened recently in the Olympics with Simone Biles. I mean, yeah. it like th this is the thing that human beings are attracted to. So it's sort of like the whole perspective. Maybe, maybe you need to come up with a new word. It's not failure. You're just not interesting of, as a person. No, no, not um, at all. And, uh, and, and, you, and and it's not even who wants to talk to a person like that? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know? it's not real. I mean, I, and I always say, like, I think the more things that you go through, the more ability you have, you, you have an opportunity, right? You have an opportunity to either become like kind of bitter as difficult things happen, or you have this ability to become more open and compassionate and gracious to other people because you recognize that we've all gone through things. Yeah. And so the hope is that you don't become bitter but instead you become a mentor someone who says i've been yeah. there and i can help see you through this because i know exactly what you're going through because i've been there too yeah well i i think i think being bitter has this value too right and and you know i i you know, you see this in let's say like the jordan documentary and, and, oh, that was so good. And, I, and i grew up in chicago so it's like that that was like what i grew up on that was life. like it's just this point of like you, you use that bitterness to get a competitive advantage. You yeah. know, we, we, we raise money as you, as you noted, and we wanted to get um, an, a, a feature story in a major publication. And uh, the response was, Oh, this round isn't big enough. Right. Mm. And I'm just like, wow, how do you write articles that talks about how difficult it is for black founders to uh, raise venture capital and then when one actually raises venture capital, you say all oh, the rounds, not not right? Yep. It's, it's crazy to me. So I'm a little bitter about that. And I'm a little in my feelings about that, but that's what motivates me, right? I'm like, okay, okay. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, okay, one day it's gonna be a feature story and, and it is big enough. And you're like, why did you give it to me, Chris? I was like, oh, well, you know, your publication, it wasn't important enough to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so it, it, is, it is a role. Uh, you have to know how to challenge it and, and yeah. very, very clear. Uh, this is not easy. Mm. And one of the things, I don't know who I learned this from, but I've never forgotten it, which is it's, it's very important to embrace those, you know, failures and those sad moments and those bitter moments, but you just can't stay there. Right. right? That's the key. Yep. You can't stay there. Right. You know, I've been knocked in the mouth and on my back many times, but yep. it's just like, I'm not going to stay on that. I, I might rest for a few seconds. <laughs> like, man, that was rough. And the older we get, yeah. maybe it's a few more extra seconds. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah, no. exactly. You know, it's like Rocky Balboa. Like, all right, let me just get to the ropes. <laughs> One step at a time. You know, you can't stay there. So that that's what keeps, you know, at least me sort of grounded um, uh, through all the, all yes. the things, uh, both positive and, and not so positive. That's exactly right. You know that you're going to keep getting back up. And that is the, the gift of being an entrepreneur is that we all have this kind of common trait, which is, especially if you're a serial entrepreneur, it is, you can knock me down and that's fine, but I'm going to keep getting back up until finally at one point you your own resilience and strength and you just yeah 100 yeah not going to stop me worst case scenario is not going to happen i mean that's <laughs> what we're <playing> against <laughs> exactly uh well chris tell us how we can connect with you so there are one i have to say again as we wrap up startup puzzle thank you so much for letting us take over this week and um, Pipeline Entrepreneurs is just so appreciative of the work that you guys are doing to tell the stories of entrepreneurs just like Chris. 
Um, and so thank you for that. If you want to find out about Pipeline, either one of our programs, go to pipelineentrepreneurs.com to apply and find out more. So Chris, tell us how we can get in touch with you. Uh, so it's crazy because as I said, you raise money and everybody finds your email and I have like a thousand emails, but, but you can get in touch with me at, at Chris at mentorspaces.com. I, I do, you should see my inbox is crazy, but I do look at all my emails. Um, and you can just check us out on mentorspaces.com. Uh, and you know, we have a team that's active on social media. So if you like what we're doing, uh, feel free to keep spreading the word because, uh, who can't get behind helping other people advance in their careers, right? Amen. So uh, thanks for having me. This has been awesome. awesome. Thank you so much. And Startup Hustle, thanks for having us. Until next time. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.